This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and thanks for spending time with us uh, at Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Dembele and I'm delighted to, to share the space and time with you on this glorious Tuesday here in South Africa. Uh, if you missed our show last week, uh, we had, I think, we had a beautiful, beautiful conversation uh, with the likes of Billy Silicarni, Velindaba, uh, they, when they were sharing their traits, uh, of, or almost like survival tools, um, uh, survival, uh, kits, uh, for, 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 you know, COVID-19. We all know that most people are despondent, most people are discouraged, most people are literally depressed. And they were really giving us a food for thought in terms of how one needs to leverage, uh, how one needs to reposition and how one needs to take advantages of the opportunities. Like they say, one door closes, the other one opens. So that was a, a reflective moment, which I thought it was quite refreshing we had last week. Uh, if you missed the last show, a show, please not to worry. Go back to just go to www.high.com and uh, retrieve the podcast and let me think what, let me, let me know what you think about it. And of course, our SMS line is 34519. Uh, a telegram is 061-895-1095. Uh, and of course, my email address is nimrod at high.co.za. If there are any issues, I'm sure Tabo will make a plan to, 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 you know, share those thoughts with, with, with us, uh, with the colleagues, uh, so that we're able to respond to those. Tonight is a very interesting uh, episode of the show, uh, for we've got international guests. Yes, international guests. Um, these are professionals, colleagues from countries such as Ireland, Singapore, uh, and Finland. Uh, and they will be giving us their own countries, uh, uh, views and perspectives in terms of how COVID-19 has uh, affected the, the economies and how the economies are, are somehow being resuscitated through different government interventions. Uh, and and it would be, be quite nice just to share experiences in terms of what worked in Ireland, uh, what worked in Finland, and what worked in, in Singapore uh, in terms of government's uh, initiatives uh, in bringing back the economy. On that note, without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome colleagues, um, you know, Jeffrey Moran from Ireland, uh, who will be our key respondents from Europe. Jeffrey, let me take this opportunity to welcome. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, Nimrod. Uh, nice to speak to you again. Hi, my good sir. Yes, all good here. All good. Lovely, man. I can't complain. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, we have uh, Chil Kaskin from, from, uh, um, uh, 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 Singapore, uh, joining us as well. Uh, Kil, good evening and welcome. Hi, Nimrod. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, and last but not least, we've got a, a rose among thorns or thorns among rose. Lisa Carlson from Finland. <laughs> hey, Nimrod. Thanks for having us. Brilliant, brilliant. Guys, when I, when we started earlier, obviously the concept, the, the context of our conversation is how COVID-19 has affected uh, the economies. We know that, um, you know, I know, I mean, Ireland has had its own uh, in cases. We know that uh, uh, Singapore has its own cases. We know that Finland has its own cases. But, you know, even South Africa as well. I mean, it's quite interesting to see different uh, uh, statistics, you know. I did a quick check uh, on, on Ireland. Uh, I mean, at some point they had about 6,000. Thousand uh, three hundred eighty cases, and uh, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's quite interesting to see how these cases are and beautiful recovery rates from a number of people, which means you know there's been some level of uh, observation in terms of the protocols. But let me take this opportunity, maybe just to say Ireland. We're going to start with um, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, I mean Ireland, obviously, um, it's it, it's one of the uh, you know, interesting and fascinating country in Europe, uh, which is well for, you know, from, from where we sit in the country. We love your whiskey, man. We love it. And, uh, uh I hope there, there hasn't really been much big dent, you know, because I also picked up that, um, you know, the Moody's, uh, uh, pointed out that the, the economic impact of COVID-19 is measured at, well, it's, it's estimated at 1.6, uh, uh, percent of the GDP, but in a national, just take us through what has been the experience of COVID-19 uh, in Ireland and how, uh, you know, Irish people are responding to it? And where are we now? Are we still in lockdown? Are we coming out of lockdown? Yeah, take us through uh, your, your assessment of where things are. 
Sure. Okay. So um, we have been in, in, I suppose, partial lockdown down for nine weeks now. And this week, actually, just yesterday, we have the first week of the easing of restrictions. Um, so unfortunately, we've had over 1,700 deaths across the island of Ireland. Uh, we've had 24,000 cases. But um, the, the the new cases are is, is uh, flattening and, and is decreasing day by day now, Nimrod. Um, obviously, on a, from an economic point of view, um, it's been pretty devastating. We've close to 17, 17% unemployment now in Ireland and expected to grow to about 25% unemployment as well. So economically, um, it has been pretty bad. Um, we're, we're taking a phased approach for, uh, to easing of restrictions. So we've actually got five phases, which go from now to, uh, September. Um, um, and it's, it's just different phases allow for different businesses to open. So, um, the bars and restaurants and hospitality uh, sector will be in phase four. Uh, and the schools have all obviously closed and will remain closed now until September. Um, so that's the kind of current state of affairs, Nimrod, in in Ireland. Um, I, I, I mean, we are doing we're, we're doing quite well um, uh, compared to maybe our our uh, our British uh, neighbours um, who who've had you know quite severe death death rates. You know. Well, thank you very much for sharing that kind of an anecdote. Seventeen uh, percent of unemployment. What was the baseline? If you could just quickly share it with us before yeah, the, well, the COVID nineteen. Yeah, well, it's gone from four percent or three point five percent, you know, to to seventeen, and then and then predictions of twenty five percent. The Irish government have uh, put in a quite a substantial um, stimulus package um, of a, you know, they put in um, social welfare supports of a payment of three hundred and fifty euro per week for anyone that has lost their jobs, and there's also it's a very big stimulus package of six point five billion, I believe. To, uh, to reinvigorate the economy, um, which is one of the largest stimulus packages per capita in Europe. So um, they're taking it pretty seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, fortunately enough, people have been able to, who have lost, unfortunately, who have lost their jobs, have been able to get some kind of payment back from the government, um, which I think has been quite generous uh, at these times. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Jeffrey, for that uh, bit of a, a contextual understanding of how Ireland is responding to the impact, which, which by no means very devastating. Perhaps let me bring in, uh, Kiel from Singapore, uh, based on the same kind of trajectory. What has been the response of Singaporean government in, in dealing with, uh, the, the aftermath or the, the, the current impasse, uh, of, of, uh, COVID-19? Uh, hi, Nimrod. They, uh, they, they released a third stimulus package, uh, last April 6, which amounted to 3.6 billion US dollars. Uh, it was aimed to save jobs and protect livelihoods through wage subsidies and rebates on foreign worker levies. So, uh, that also included, uh, cash incentives for Singaporeans because, uh, their businesses have been heavily impacted and the 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 most impacted is the food and beverage in, industry, also the airlines. I mean, uh, if you've seen the news, uh, Changi Changi Airport is one of the best airports in the world, and they had to close two terminals just to save operating costs. But so far, the unemployment rate here is just around two point four percent. Interesting. Um, uh, quite, quite low. What has been the, the baseline since you've moving, uh, since you're now sitting at 2.4 or 2.5 percent? Uh, sorry, uh, the, the baseline for the 2.4 percent. Uh, okay. So, so you say the current employment is sitting at 2.5 percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what, what was it before? Uh, so that we're able to see the, 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 the growth, um, whether the unemployment has, has, or sort of uh, increase exponentially, or has it been incremental? Uh, the it, it it didn't increase exponentially because it's the it the it was worse during the SARS period because it was four point eight percent. So technically, it's uh if they compare they comp- when if they comp- they compared the unemployment rate uh, during the SARS period, it's quite low. 
I mean, comparing it to 4.8 back in September 2003 and then 2.4 just uh, the measurement was taken in March. Okay, no, no, thank you very much. It's, it's quite devastating, uh, clearly. Uh, perhaps, but we'll come back to, to, to these kinds of conversation. Let me take this opportunity now to bring in uh, Lisa Carlson from Finland just to also share um, the, the, the overall view of how you know, uh, you know, the Finns are, are dealing with the COVID-19 and whether Finland uh, is coming out, uh, what level of um, lockdown they are sitting at. Uh, over to you, Lisa. Yes. So, of course, it's it's been devastating and, and the biggest impact it has, has in Finland has been on the hospitality business. So in restaurants closing, uh, schools closing, um, all kinds of, so to say, leisure activities of, of cruise ships and things like that. So it was an average of, I think, around 18% increase, increase in unemployment for uh, men and about 35% increase in unemployment for women during this time. But uh, in Finland, um, the percentage of... I think because we are such a uh, scarcely populated country, it's been easily, so to say, to to lock in and to keep the people in and keep the distances. So the death rate has been extremely small in Finland. It's only uh, about 300 people in total over these past months. And uh, currently we only have in hospitals overall in the whole, whole country about 100 COVID patients. And these are not even the ICU. Uh, in ICU, there's only 25 at this moment. And because of this trend, um, last week they opened up kindergartens and schools already. Um, uh, and throughout this COVID period, all businesses have been o- open. Some non-essential businesses have decided themselves to close the doors, uh, and some are are op- their opening hours are um, different to standard opening hours. But everything has been open so far. Um, from first of June, uh, they're starting to open up uh, restaurant businesses uh, and cafes. At this moment, takeaway has been the only option, uh, but they're going to allow. Um, with tight restrictions, um, restaurants should open so that social distancing can be uh, upheld. But it's been pretty free here. Um, and, yeah, so I'm normally based in Ireland, but I actually got locked in in my home country of Finland. So I've been suffering through uh, COVID here, and it's been interesting to see the differences between the countries, I must say. No, thank you very much. You probably, uh, somehow the upside of being locked down in your own country is so much better, you know, than being locked, being, you know, locked down in a different country where you have to obviously scrapple and go through this embassy, that embassy and all sorts of, uh, uh, traveling arrangements. So you were pretty much uh, safe from that kind of, you know, uh, pain. Absolutely. And having the family nearby and, and that's always nice. In Ireland, I would have been stuck in my own apartment in the middle of the city centre, so that would have been much more boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, great stuff. No, thank you very much, colleagues, for, for very interesting observations based on your personal experience uh, in different parts of, of, of Europe as well as, as, as uh, South Asia. Um, maybe let me just go back to, to, to Jeff um, in, in terms of the easing uh, of the lockdown um, and uh, Perhaps we just take us through which sectors um, are, are now being considered uh, relatively safe, uh, and 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 how uh, the process of gradual lifting uh, is being envisaged in Ireland. Sure, um, you know, at the moment we're in a stage where um, hardware and um, garden centres are open, uh, and essential services like. Uh, electrical stores. Um, then we we also have a travel restriction at the moment, so we can't um, travel beyond five kilometers. Um, come June the eighth, we'll be able to travel uh, to a twenty-kilometer distance. Um, and as I said, then um, in J- June and July, in the July period, we'll have crashes, childminders, and um, sporting facilities kind of opened up 
just behind closed doors. Um, from July onwards, I think it's the end of July, uh, the hospitality section uh, parts of it will, will reopen. So you've got places like hotels and restaurants from the end of July. Um, but all, all large gatherings in Imrad will still be, you know, will still be um, banned in some, in some degree, you know. Um, uh, and then very finally, I think in August, you've got things like August from August 10th onwards, you've got places like um, cinemas, gyms, theatres um, allowed to open in uh, the new environment of social distancing. But it, it, it'll be all very strange, I think, when we, we do, um, when places do open up, um, because I think there'll be a, a, a very different attitude towards um mass gatherings uh, and gatherings in, in places like the shopping centres and, and malls, you know. I'm glad you raised that, the, the different, um, almost a different look and feel of social engagement because um, here in South Africa, I mean, and I'm sure throughout the world, you know, the, the impact of social, of, the impact of COVID-19 will redefine uh, a human engagement. We no longer shake hands, we no longer hug, uh, mm-hmm. we always have mask around. Um, but, 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 you know, is that a general feel across the globe, across in Finland, for an example, or Singapore, um, how, you know, do people think we're going to have a different way of engaging beyond the COVID-19? What's the mood like um, through uh, either in Finland or Singapore? Well, here I think at least uh, the mood is people are pleasantly optimistic. People understand that there will be a change coming from this, but they also see the positive benefits of it, of the fact that we may be in some situations, although we know that there's some suffer- people that are suffering more, but in some situations, family re- families are spending more time together. Um, you're also people here because it hasn't been as strict as in Ireland, uh, and there's no must of using masks still in Finland. It's only for the people that are sick. Um, it's the connecting with nature and connecting with your own country. So that's where, again, the pieces of positiveness comes from. But of course, uh, as, as Jeff mentioned, um, there's going to be changes. There's going to be changes in a lot of things, everything from travel to, as you said, social gatherings. Interesting, interesting. Uh, what's the status like in Singapore around um, the issues that your colleagues have already pointed out to you? Uh, it's basically the same, Nimrod. It's the, I guess, how we approach social <laughs> gatherings and people, uh, I mean, it's a totally different environment here because mostly people are staying inside apartment buildings. So there's, it's kind of mixed because those, those who have houses, they have those, uh, they have, I guess, the space to really some energy if you want to walk around, go out, stretch, but it's different in private apartments where people live in a much smaller space. So the, the government has allowed, still, still allowed people to exercise, but not in huge groups. So you can, you can, you can take off your mask if you are running or, uh, cycling. But if, uh, you're, if you're just walking around, you need, uh, everyone is required to wear a mask. And there are a lot of people, uh, uh, they, they call it social distancing ambassadors. Uh, normally they're, uh, they're, they, they were working originally, uh, usually from the service industry like airlines because instead, because the government has been advocating to retain their people. Uh, that was the purpose of the third stimulus package. So, uh, the government gives the, gives businesses, uh, some money to help them cope with the pandemic. So instead of letting go people, they reassign them somewhere else. So for example, uh, Singapore Airlines has reassigned their, uh, flight attendants to help with the social distancing ambassador uh, to serve as social distancing ambassadors in the city. So they, they have these, uh, they have this Singapore Airlines t-shirts with, uh, with a badge called social distancing ambassadors. So there's a, there's a lot of enforcement, but in terms of easing down, I think that they, they eased down some, they, they allowed some services to open as May 4 and primarily it was the barber shops and, uh, 
Chinese traditional medicine stores. And uh, we're still waiting for news on what, how will it be on June 1? Because that was the target to like totally take off the restrictions, but masks are still compulsory. Interesting because that, that kind of um, uh, observation is similar to South Africa. Uh, I mean, uh, for an example, you know, you, you know, because of the, uh, you know, uh, inequalities, uh, disparities in the country, we also battle with the same issues. I mean, we have obviously, uh, the more affluent environments where people have, uh, you know, bigger houses, uh, but you also have the opposite where people live in shacks or informal settlements and environments where there's no running water, electricity, uh, social distance. It's, it's, it's almost impossible, uh, uh, to enforce because this, it's a space issue. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, people also need to be more educated, uh, over and over and again. And government here has done exceptionally well in terms of firstly, you know, programmating the, the state of, uh, disaster well in advance, uh, and, and, and educating, you know, everyone. Uh, we're currently operating in level four and we're hoping that by the end of May, we might go to level three because at level four, uh, there's been some easing of, uh, of trace, you know, businesses have started, you know, uh, uh, allow, being allowed to operate your, your restaurant, like you said. Um, you can only order, you can't, you know, have sit in. We still have to find out different codes or different regulations, but, but it, it's something that we are still trying to sort out. Um, education here in the country has not opened it yet. Uh, there's still, uh, discussions with labor because people are honestly quite scared. Parents are, are scared to send their kids to school because there is no guarantee that, um, you know, there, there are sufficient measures uh, that government is taking uh, into account to address the, the, the social distancing issues. So, so we currently at that level where we, 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 we obviously trying to, uh, get everybody to understand, uh, and government, uh, I must, I must, uh, uh, know that it has done very well. I mean, the leadership here um, has been standing, you know. Um, you know, uh, economy is gradually picking up, uh, even though uh, we did not have the luxury of, um, you know, fiscal, um, uh, fiscal space to play around. Because uh, for those who may not be aware, before the COVID-19, uh, we already had two quarters of negative growth. Um, and, and, and the third quarter, you know, we typically technically in, 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 in depression, uh, in the country because uh, we, we, there's not really enough much. So the government here, what they did, they, you know, put together a stimulus package of about, uh, 500,000, uh, you know, uh, uh, to ensure that, you know, uh, firstly, they extend the safety nets for those who are unemployed, uh, in the, via grants or, or coupons. Uh, and then, then also, you know, sponsored, uh, municipalities to be, to pay, you know, basic services like water and electricity. Uh, so there's been those kinds of, of intervention to try and ease the burden. Uh, but, but the biggest issue here in South Africa is that, um, the money that is, that is, that is forthcoming, uh, you know, first it's obviously we don't have to raise money elsewhere because we don't have uh, enough money. Um, we're going to go through the banks. We're going to go through, uh, uh, you know, international monetary funds uh, and so on and so forth to try and borrow. And, and the implications of one will be quite significant when you look at it because, um, we, we, like I said earlier, we did not have, uh, stimulus, uh, space to play around. But anyway, that, that's, that's a bit of a background of South Africa in terms of, of getting the economy back. That's um, really interesting. Can I Nimrod, ask, how was it sure. uh, there in South Africa where, um, let's say, banks um, giving, suspending, let's say, loans or mortgages or stuff like that? Was things like this happening there as well when you were on the stage five or? or... Yes, it's a very, it's a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, observation, Lisa. Um, I mean, banks here, obviously, depending on the risk of of a a client, they've been given to, you know, they've given a number of, uh, you know, clients a bit of uh, tax holidays or I mean, uh, payment holidays. 
um, to ensure yeah. that, um, you know, those that cannot afford can't uh, pay uh, the mortgages or their cars. Um, that, that kind of initiative has been welcomed by, um, by, 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 by ordinary folks because that sort of eases the, the, the financial burden which most people are experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you've heard a bit of how, how schools are being started up up here. Can you tell us a bit more? Has has government any laid out any plans or, or thoughts on on so to say opening up the schools now? For Christmas for you <laughs> it is in the middle of the summer for us. Uh, how does that look like? Yeah, look, I mean um the the government is currently in a process of establishing uh, the readiness of schools, um, you know, uh, they have procured a number of uh, PPEs, uh, personal protective uh, equipment, uh, that will be distributed, you know, throughout the country. Um, you know, they obviously engaging the unions, uh, you know, so that they ease the fear and the anxiety, uh, for, for people to come back. But there are a lot of concerns around, uh, you know, social distancing. For an example, uh, you know, the government's proposal is to open, to, to have a phasing approach of opening schools. Um, we'll have, um, at least, you know, we'll have the grade 12 and grade 7, you know, uh, opening first. So, which means instead of having all the other grades, these two cohorts, uh, of, of grades would have the entire school to themselves. Uh, that way would minimize the, 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 you know, social distancing challenges, um, that, that, that we'll experience. But the other issue here is, you know, poverty is quite massive. Um, you know, because most of the kids, uh, we, we're depending on, on school feeding schemes. And yeah. now that the feeding schemes, uh, are, were obviously being distributed in schools, government had to find a mechanic, uh, by partnering with NGOs, uh, in you know, private companies to see how they could package uh, you know, feeding schemes, uh, and, and this, and find a way to distribute food to indigenous communities, uh, 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 you know, which were not, um, you know, along available in school because schools were closed. So, so this is how government is actually trying to, uh, manage the crisis and ease the burden, uh, of those who are indigent. And, and that's interesting yeah. to hear because actually they did something similar in, even here in Finland that, some schools came out with food packages because we know that there's families with less money and, and the kids really counted on the school lunches. So they were handing out, yeah, school lunch packages for the, for the ones that needed it. So, yeah. Interesting commonality there. Uh, what has been a Singapore experience like on those issues of the, the less fortunate? And uh, we understand how government dealt with the, 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 the companies. Um, how did government uh, dealt with, you know, uh, families, um, you know, schools, children? Uh, yeah, on that part, uh, Nimrod, the, uh, Singaporeans, uh, themselves, I'm not sure if it included permanent residents. I think they, they received uh, around 600 Singapore dollars each or that amounts to like 400 euros, but a lot of people decided to just to just give that to charity instead and help those who who have uh who do not have the resources because uh some people here like migrant workers they they their wages are not as high that that's also that's also one of the reasons why singapore's uh infections the number of infections kind of blew up in the uh Kind of blew up recently because, uh, migrant workers are, st- are staying in dormitories and it's, and it's like a, a room and the average number of people staying there is like tw- 12, 8 to 12, 8 to 12 workers. So that's how the infection spread across the migrant worker community. So the government has been helping them in a way that they get the same benefits as Singaporeans in terms of uh, medical aid. So on that part, they've been, they've been doing quite good instead of just uh, letting non-Singaporeans fend for themselves. It's, it's quite interesting, um, you know, to raise that issue because that's something that we as South Africans are grappling with because we've got a, 
quite a sizable number of uh, South Africans uh, or foreign nationals who are not who are not documented, um, and a, by virtue of not being documented, which makes it very difficult for them to access government grants, and 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 of course where you know private players. NGOs are coming through to provide support. Uh, the nature of the beast is that South Africans will obviously uh, have more access to these kinds of society, uh, these kinds of, of, of services, and which opens up um, a, a different, uh, you know, permutation politically. Because if you have more and more people uh, who are, are non-residents uh, and been left out of the the coverage. Uh, they become more exposed, uh, and 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 that has its own stability, you know, or consideration. Perhaps maybe Singapore, because you have a lot of migrants, and I'm not sure where Ireland is. Um, what is the proportion of, uh, um, you know, um, well, here we call them other immigrants or or undocumented, you know, foreign nationals? Do you have a large number of of of, of undocumented? Uh, foreign nationals in your respective countries, and what is, has been the government response in dealing with those issues? Uh, I, I don't think it's a massive issue in, in Ireland, Nimrod. I think most most immigrants that come into the country would would have a, a visa, a working visa of some description. So I don't think it's uh, certainly not hasn't been uh, not on my radar really. Um, so I don't know if Keel can speak to that. Um, we certainly closed the borders down and, uh, we were not letting people, you know, there's, there was a period where we're, there was no flights, um, coming in and to most of the European countries. Um, but that's easing up slightly as well. Now I think there will be flights as, as of, of next week going from different countries. Um, but even, you know, like flying will be, will be a very different experience. I think that's, that's, that's for sure. Interesting, interesting. Maybe it would kill because you, 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 your socio-economic, um, you know, fiber, it's not so different, uh, from, from South Africa, I would imagine. Um, how are you dealing with the, the, I'm sure you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, foreigners that are coming through. Some of them are documented, some of them are not documented. And those who are not documented, obviously, uh, are much more vulnerable because of, uh, safety net, which does not exist. Uh, what has been the government's approach, perhaps maybe in terms of aiding those kinds of uh, vulnerable uh, people who are there by virtue of uh, seeking greener pastures? Yeah, uh, for Singapore, there's around, I think, around one million foreign workers, and a lot of them are have work visas because Singapore is such a small country; it's a city state, so. Anyone undocumented is like, it's not difficult to catch someone who's an illegal alien here. So they, 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 they are quite, uh, strict on that. So the, as for the migrant workers who are working in the construction, well, mostly are working for the construction industry. I think, uh, based, based from statistics, I think they're mostly from India and Bangladesh or developing countries. So they, uh, if they have been infected, the government is, uh, helping them with the medical expenses. Uh, they cover for it. They help them reconnect with their families. So they, they, they really take care of those people. But what has been highlighted in the news is, is their living conditions. And that's been, uh, putting pressure on their employers to improve their living conditions because the number of infections would not have spread uh, would not have blown up if you're not if they haven't been staying in a 12 person uh room uh it's a very cramped space so that's why the, the infection spread so fast so in terms of uh the government taking care of them yeah they they, they are quite uh they're quite well taken care of and they they get uh i guess financial support from the government if if they need to send money to their families and uh reconnect with them or if if some if if they need like uh i think in terms of basic necessities like uh to reconnect with them through uh phone if they need a phone or internet to talk with their families back home well, thank you very much for for that for that insight um 
One of the things that we know for the fact is that unemployment is going to be very difficult for all countries to manage unemployment rates. I mean, here in the country, we're currently sitting at the last time I checked, we're sitting at about 20, 28, 29%. Uh, using a narrow definition of unemployment, when using a broader definition of unemployment, we're probably seeing in about 40 uh, percent of unemployment. So you can imagine how how massive that is. Um, and in a context of the economy that is barely growing, as I said earlier, we grew at less than a percent, and now it's going to be worse. We, you know, the last time I checked the figures, we were going to go, we're going to literally, you know, uh, grow at less than two percent. Uh, and that, that, that is quite staggering, uh, considering the, the, the unemployment rate. But perhaps maybe from, from, from Ireland point of view, um, yes, yes, you, you know, uh, uh Jeffrey, you, you pointed out that you're currently sitting at 70, 70% of unemployment rate. Yeah. Um, do you think post COVID-19, the Irish economy will be the same? Which sectors are likely to thrive? Uh, which sector do you think uh, will completely change uh, for the better or for worse? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, that's obviously going to take time. Um, but we were in pretty good shape before, you know, before this all happened. Um, and I think we, we will bounce back. Um, the stimulus that the government is putting into local business and even small and startup business has been absolutely enormous. Um, I think you know there is a, a desire of the people here to, to you know to get things back to to, to normal to spend, um, but there are kind of interesting habits that you know we've noticed here. Um, I was looking at a CNBC report there that said that you know there, there may be less department stores, uh, for example. Um, there will be massive uh, shop closures all across the world. Um, and people will, will tend to kind of shop a bit more locally. So I think if there's anything for me that, that one of the lessons from COVID-19, it's, it's, we, we, we've, it's given us a little bit of time to, to kind of reflect on our lives and to look at the essential services like retail, healthcare, even, you know, bin collection services, truck drivers, farm workers, uh, manufacturing, and I suppose appreciate those services a lot more. So, I think um when we you know exit this covid-19 phase I think there there may be a change in people's buying behaviors and buying habits uh, so that's I think that's an interesting um discussion point for the group okay great stuff uh, w- w- um Kiel, uh, from Singapore what's what's the texture of the thought process beyond beyond the covid-19 in terms of the sectors that are are, are going to be the same or sectors that are completely going to change because the the nature of uh, demand would be completely different. For an example, let's look at universities. You know, um, universities obviously, or education in the main, it's based on, on physical engagement. Um, do you foresee an environment where, um, you know, online provisioning of education will, 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 will you know, take a, a drastic change? Uh, as opposed to, to how it has been before the lockdown. What, what's your thought? I think there, there would be some changes. I think people would be more open to distance learning and uh, mobility practices in the workplace because uh, it, it's kind of like there's there's still a tradition here of uh, employers still wanting their employees to always come to the office. It's kind of like, if I don't see you in the office, you're not really working. So I think, uh, with, with, uh, with a pandemic and everyone's required to be working from home, I think people's attitudes will change towards, um, mobility. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. My, my, my think my biggest observation, uh, is that it is possible to be, to still be in a productive while working from home. As I'm talking to now, I would never, n- nobody ever thought at any point we'll have a live conversation with uh, colleagues across the globe, um, at the comfort of my house. 
Um, so, you know, business is actually going, you know, irrespective of where it's taking place. Um, but, you know, so which means, in my view, well, we might deal with the congestions on the road a lot, lot, lot easier because most people in any case are working from home or have, have become accustomed to working from home. So from a policy change point of view, so this is, this is something that governments can look in, in much more positively towards because it's easy to enforce because there's now precedent. Uh, what's your take, Finland? What's your observation on that? Because, I mean, South Africa, we've got, the, you know, uh, we've got, you know, traffic congestion. It's one of the biggest challenge. Uh, we don't have sufficient uh, public transport and the congestions are quite high. Um, so this could be an opportunity from policy point of view to restructure, to rethink and promote and actually encourage companies to allow people working from home so that they, they, they decongest the traffic because that, that is also goes against productivity. Absolutely. The congestions, they will waste time. And also for a lot of people, Working from home uh, is also a benefit for their mental health because for some people it's uh, they might be more productive at a, a home environment. I personally like going to the office every once in a while to see colleagues and it's a productive environment per se, but it is nice to be allowed to have the balance. And I think it's, it's some of the bigger companies um, that are enforcing it and are being more and more leaning towards it and that will hopefully become more and more the norm. The same as you mentioned, the universities, which are a lot of, a lot of it will be and is online schooling. I mean, the clawback of that is that for a lot of universities, probably in South Africa as well, is that there's a lot of foreign students. And will these foreign students pay tuition fees for something that is online? And how do you make your online and your digital learning better than someone else's so that they would pay you instead of someone else and things like that. So there's a lot of, yeah, positive, but still changes to be thought about. That, that's a very scary observation, Lisa, for a simple reason, because um, universities have a lot overheads. Uh, when you look at just the maintenance of a building, you know, uh, yep. you know, people pay quite substantial amount of, of fee of tuition and, and that money goes to what's, Small things are just fixing the leaks. You know, when you've got a, a building that is 100 years old, you can imagine the infrastructural requirements uh, that is needed, uh, hence uh, exorbitant fees that have been charged uh, by some of the universities. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they compete with the service providers who are much more agile, much more, uh, uh, you know, responsive and providing quality uh, obviously limited, uh, you know, uh, physical engagement uh, with the, with, with, with the students. Mm. Can I ask you, Nimrod, uh, looking at South, South Africa, and as you said, it's a, a diverse country, uh, with a lot of diverse culture and uh, different tasks in it. Which kind of industries do you feel that will be growing and will be helping to get, will help uh, get the South African e- economic back on its tracks? Um, look, it's a very difficult question for a simple reason. Firstly, you know, um, you know, the, we know the, uh, um, services, uh, sector, uh, has grown, financial sector has grown as ex- exponentially. Um, and, 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 but there's only limited space, uh, for majority of people. Um, and because, you know, the bulk of, of, of people who, are currently disgruntled, most of them don't have requisite skills. So it's a question of having to reskill majority of people so that they are aligned to the demands of the labor market uh, in terms of your I mean your 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 your, your e-commerce for an example. That's a major yeah. um, you know a sector that given a chance it will grow exponentially. Uh, ICT will grow exponentially um, services sector will grow exponentially um, you know, uh, tourism and hospitality will grow exponentially, but it's a matter of finding the right balance because most people, uh, who are currently, uh, are, are not, you know, absorbed, um, have a low, uh, literacy rate. Uh, and, and that requires government to really think differently in terms of reskilling and repackaging, um, you know, these kinds of, of services so that 
uh, industries that are growing. I mean, you know, uh, stuff like um, um, uh, 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 automotive industry is growing, um, and it requires different skill sets. Manufacturing is growing, you know, it requires a different skill set. So ultimately it's all about supply and demand in terms of the requisite skills that are needed. Uh, so that's the biggest challenge for South Africans government. And it's for the government to maybe embrace the digital, as you said, with the online and stuff like that to support the, the reskilling and the literacy and all this. Completely, completely. Um, and, and, and that Government has would have no choice in, in as far as I'm concerned because that's the global trend and that's where most countries are gravitating towards. Uh, it, it's a matter of uh, embracing the curve sooner than later. That's 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 my view. Thank you. And basically, how people will uh, react after this pandemic because their attitudes can change. Like for example. Uh, uh there's a lot of shopping malls here in Singapore and i think uh based based from experience there in south africa you also have malls so if people will prefer online shopping and not really going to the mall to buy their stuff then those businesses have to adjust to the people's attitudes and behaviors yeah fully agree and uh, kale i think it's 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 very hard to predict consumer demand post covid-19 i think uh, people's personal space will be a, a, a top priority. Um, uh, so, you know, there's no doubt that digital business and online e-commerce business will, will flourish. Um, and as I said, you might be left with a lot less physical stores or department stores, certainly, uh, for people to, to shop in. Um, so it's an interesting, interesting point and, and by trying to kind of predict consumer demand. And, and I think not just link to the consumer demand, if I could say, but it's interesting also what Kiev you said earlier about the Singapore airline becoming now social distancing hostesses. It's also for us as people to embrace this change and be ready for it. Because that was also something that happened in Finland, for example, when some teachers got unemployed, instead of them being let off, uh, the, the county that employed them gave them an opportunity to work in the gardening department instead. So it's as well who is ready to accept the change. Sure. If it it's means kind of like, schooling. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, waiting, uh, waiting and observing and then adapting. And yeah. that will be, I mean, businesses who cannot adapt will, uh, will suffer. And those who want to get adapt fast will, I guess, flourish after this, uh, pandemic. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, for those who have just, um, you know, if you have just listened to us now, we're having a very interesting conversation with um, uh, uh, our Europe correspondent, Jeffrey Moran, uh, who is coming from Ireland. Uh, a very interesting input from Akil Cousin from Singapore, and as well as, as Lisa, uh, who's really giving us a thought-provoking insight on how Finland is responding to COVID-19 and and, and what are some of the measures that uh, are being taken by all these respective countries uh, to address issues of unemployment, obviously, to address issues of social distancing and and really changing attitudes. Uh, And and, and obviously, in my view, this world, this world, this world would be worn on a basis of attitude. The sooner we embrace uh, the, the, you know, the dictates of the new environment, the better. And, and obviously that goes with, that goes with education. Um, we just cannot assume that people will embrace the change, uh, unless, uh, you know, governments and actually not only government, government, private sector, labor, uh, sing from the same hymn book in terms of pointing, you know, to a direction. And I don't think this is a time for people to pop, to play politics. Um, and, and, and politics at this point, uh, will not necessarily deliver people uh, uh, from from the bondage of unemployment. I mean, when you look at countries such as uh, uh, you know uh, 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 Ireland, where you have a very uh, low unemployment rate and suddenly it has gone up, you can imagine with countries such as South Africa, where unemployment rate is literally sitting at double digit, uh, and with 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 huge inequalities, with huge uh, issues around redress. So our politics have to be much more pragmatics. Our politics have to be much more informed, 
and what any policy decision has to literally be 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 evidence led and 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 people need to be educated more and more about the new requirement of post covid nineteen in as far as uh, uh, uh um services are concerned um folks as we are wrapping up we've got literally about three more minutes to to wrap up this very interesting conversation, uh, which has been unprecedented. I believe this is going to be, this is going to mark the beginning of a, uh, our journey moving forward because it's quite interesting to, to hear more and more of, of, of how Ireland, how Singapore, how Finland and how London and so on and so forth, uh, uh, you know, are actually uh, proceeding beyond COVID-19. Uh, let me just give Jeffrey the last, uh, Jeffrey, um, your, your final comment on, on how, you know, Ireland uh, what are the key lessons that Ireland has learned uh, uh, taking, you know, the COVID-19 uh, quagmire forward? Sure. I mean, I think, as I said before, I think it's been an opportunity uh, for some of us to take, you know, take a break from our, our hectic lives. Um, obviously, it's been a very tragic situation for a lot of people who have lost their lives and lo- lost loved ones. Um, I think we're getting to a situation now where, you know, we're, we're starting to see the, the light and um we're, we're we're appreciating um life love and friendship and they're they're the three things that we appreciate the most love and friendship thank you very much kill what's your passion short uh, from singapore it it i think it gave uh people time to reflect and slow down in, in this uh situation because it's not always rush, uh, waking up early, rushing to work and go through all and go, go through the rat race. It's, it gave, uh, people time or me time to slow down and think about things or reflect because, uh, in life, like with all the hustle and bustle, you just forget what's important to you. Like, uh, what Jeff said, like, uh, you, you get to treasure uh, family, friends, you get to talk to them more. I couldn't agree with you more. Lisa, uh, your final parting shot on this very interesting conversation that you've had. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Uh, parting words, try and stay safe, healthy, share the love and embrace the change that is coming and is here. I couldn't agree with more colleagues. Unfortunately, we're going to have a little bit of there. It has been an absolute beautiful, beautiful opportunity to engage with you. I've learned more about islands. I've learned more about Singapore. I've learned more about Finland uh, through the generosity of your time. Thank you, Jeffrey Moran, for once again. Thank you, Kill. Uh, once again, thank you, Lisa, again. Until we meet again, it, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, have a good one. Please stay safe. Until we meet again. Thank you all. Thanks, thank you so much. Thanks.